from WPVMLP in Asheville. It's the Dirty Spoon Radio Hour. I'm Lexi Harvey. And I'm Jonathan Ammons, and this is Salt Cathedral.
saves Mad as a box of frogs Tried to behave cheap after shave Two thousand pound laptop That's my god Dirty Spoon Radio Hour is made possible by our underwriter, The Marketplace Restaurant. Serving Asheville for over 40 years, The Marketplace is Asheville's original farm-to-table restaurant. The Marketplace strives to bring you the best of what our region has to offer, farmed by our neighbors. For more information on our underwriters or to support us yourself by subscribing to our Patreon, visit dirty-spoon.com. I don't know about you, but it took me a while to develop a knack or love for cooking. It always seemed like magic. Something far more magical than a mere muggle like me could achieve. It took me four years of working behind the bar of a restaurant, and another four years of writing about the restaurant industry, before I felt like I had a comfortable enough grasp on the kitchen to start writing about food itself, as I've done for the better part of a decade. So I totally understand it when someone says they can't cook, or they are intimidated by cooking. Because while cooking any given dish can be easy once you know how to do it, it takes a lot of time, attention to detail, and mistakes to figure it out most of the time. And that can be incredibly discouraging. Enough so to keep a lot of folks out of the kitchen entirely. Henry Boyd felt the same way, but he also learned that the kitchen can be a perfect place to be more forgiving towards yourself, in turn allowing you to develop more challenging skills and grow, both in the kitchen and in life. I've never been one for baking. Feeling comfortable in my own happiness? Maybe even less so. I tend to spend more time on prep whenever I'm baking. Probably out of fear. To be fair, I haven't done a ton of baking in my lifetime. A few scattered trays of cookies here and there. The odd batch or two of muffins when the mood strikes. If anyone has a killer poppy seed recipe, please, for the love of God, pass it along. But the main problem is really that my tendencies are fairly antithetical to good baking technique. I get ants in my food-making pants whenever there's downtime. Boredom, impatience, and distraction all start creeping in eventually, inevitably leading to scattered moments of recipe tweaking, both good and bad. 
drop in another pinch of spice here, give a pot just one more tiny stir there, leave a dish in the oven just a smidge longer while the kitchen timer rings unacknowledged. With cooking, these habits are usually at worst innocuous and sometimes even a boon, adding just the right oomph or pizzazz to a meal. But with baking, that kind of improvisation usually leads to doom and disaster in my experience, potentially the recipe killing kind. I've baked this recipe twice so far. As you can probably guess, the first iteration fell victim to these inclinations and I found myself with two loaves of matcha pound cake that were sorely lacking. The cake was too dry after being left in the oven, probably because I was busy watching a bad movie trailer or reading an inane article on the internet trends or which tech mogul did something abhorrent that day. Then I completely bungled the green matcha swirl on the cake. I wasn't paying enough attention to the recipe and combined a bit more than a third of the batter with the matcha mixture, so instead of a singular swirl of that bold matcha green, I ended up with more of a Seuss-like pound cake with a hint of white. On top of that, apparently I don't know how or couldn't be arsed to put parchment paper into my pans properly. So the loaves ended up with nooks and crannies all over the place. Just a dry, green, asymmetrical mess of a loaf. Being antsy is kind of the default state for me. Staying in the moment has always been a challenge, try as I might. No matter how brilliant or lovely or wonderful something is, a thought of what comes next or what my plan is, either in the immediate or the absurdly long-term and existential, usually starts creeping into the den of commotion you could call my thoughts. Part of me finds strength in this, always having grand plans full of adventure and promise on the horizon. I think it keeps me moving, motivated to work towards that next big thing, whether it's a recipe or a career move or something for family and friends or whatever. I always tell people when they like some morsel that I've made that I have notes on how to improve no matter the feedback. Someone could tell me a dish tastes like it was brought down from on high by the gods themselves and I would still say the same thing. There's a reason I've always liked putting a notes for next time section at the bottom of every post. But the other half of that mindset is that dissatisfaction comes a lot more easily, probably naturally. Success brings discomfort a lot more than you might imagine. There's a difficulty finding contentment with the present and every peak you reach just reveals another off in the distance. And if you don't pay attention, that need for continuous improvement can get away from you and suddenly Motivation has turned to helplessness in the face of a constant climb. The only way I know to stave off this unfortunate side effect is to be mindful of your victories and lean into them, even when it feels uncomfortable. Which you might think would come more naturally in a world full of social media highlights and humble brags, but for me it always feels awkward and strange. Not to imply any sense of humility, this is shyness and discomfort more than anything at least when it comes to the more quantifiable parts of life. But thankfully, ignoring these thoughts is a thousand times easier when you're dealing with something you can't put a number on. I've become a lot better with this over the years, but it's not too hard to stay in your victories when we're talking about laughter and conversation with friends or a quiet moment with someone you truly, deeply care about. I always try to close my eyes at some point and take a deep breath acknowledging that moment for just a second longer. Without looking like a weirdo, of course. 
Thankfully, the second attempt came out a fair amount better. Instead of a sad, dry excuse for pound cake, after a successful toothpick test, I pulled out two fairly moist and decadent loaves with two well-balanced matcha swirls to boot. I still had a few notes, but that could wait. For now, I'll reward myself with a quiet moment of peace over a few slices and a cup of green tea. Notes for next time. I have to get that damn swirl right. Learn how to use parchment paper like someone who isn't a spaz. Enjoy the victories a little bit more and buy bigger mixing bowls and a mini whisk. Dave Whitehead reading Henry Boyd's Love and Happiness and Matcha Pound Cake. You can find that story and all of our backstories on our webpage, dirty-spoon.com.
If you're listening to the show and have gone out of your way to turn on a radio show about food, then the odds are pretty high that you've spent a decent amount of time gathered around a table with friends or family. It's not so much about cooking or eating good food, but about being around people. But do you remember when it started for you? Do you remember cooking your first dinner parties? For some, the desire to cook for friends comes as soon as they rent their own apartment. For others, it comes later, or never at all. For Molly Grossman, it came from a desire to try new things and share them with the people she loved. Here's Gina Smith reading Molly Grossman's story from scratch. Growing up, food made from scratch seemed like an incredibly special concept. Even the crockpot chicken noodle soup mom threw together before heading to work held a particular noteworthiness in my eyes. This thought has stuck with me, Even as a 20-year-old living off cup of noodles and leftover catering, I steal from my job at a performing arts center. Going out to eat or throwing a pizza in the oven is tasty, sure. Do you know what's really special, though? Gnocchi made from potatoes that you peeled and boiled, kneaded by hands covered in a grossly textured starch and egg slurry. 
Burger patties form from balls of ground beef into flat discs, which are then grilled outside and served as their finished cooking. Pie filling full of cherries that you pitted, washed, and then simmered in a pot with sugar and a touch of lemon juice. I discussed this same idea with my friend Adam once. It sparked from a shared interest in cooking, which then led to us sharing recipes that we wanted to try. After a while, we finally went, wait, why don't we try cooking some of these together? Thus, a tradition was born. Adam and I come from a shared hometown, but go to college in different states. We hardly get to see each other or our mutual friends, so when we're both visiting home, we get together and cook them a meal from scratch. We aim to cook dishes that aren't eaten in our day-to-day lives. Ingredient experimentation is always welcomed. We once made okonomiyaki, a Japanese dish that I can best describe as a customizable fried cabbage pancake. Most ingredients were available at our local grocery store, except for one, a Japanese mountain yam. Our recipe said we could replace this ingredient with milk and baking powder. But why on earth would we do that? We want to try new things and explore our abilities as chefs. Therefore, Adam and I hopped into his car and drove to Mitsuwa, a Japanese marketplace an hour and a half away from our kitchen. All produce was labeled with Japanese characters neither of us understood. A stock boy kindly picked out a mountain yam for us after we sheepishly asked them to. When it was time to integrate the yam into our recipe, I shredded it using a cheese grater. Adam and I watched as the previously solid root turned into a sort of gooey substance that plopped into our bowl. Soon after this, I was crying as I scrubbed my arms and hands with cold water in dawn. My skin was on fire, red, irritable, and itchy. You learn something new about yourself every day, and that day I learned of my strange skin sensitivity to mountain yam goo. Of course, there's no use in discovering these kinds of things if there isn't anyone to feed. Organizing our friends to come over with empty stomachs tends to be a challenge. Originally, we would make false promises of video games and pizza to lure them in, and they'd either be pleasantly surprised with a homemade feast or disappointed that they didn't get to eat pizza. Either way, they were no longer hungry by the time they left. This technique proved to be unviable after the second time we used it, as one of our friends arrived having already eaten. Why did you fill up before you came here? I said that I ordered pizza, Adam scolded, ready to dish out a serving of curry over rice. Exactly, our friend retorted. Pizza never fills me up, so I ate before I came. Entirely valid reasoning, in my opinion. But the poor fool ended up eating a couple of spoonfuls of curry before sadly watching us finish our bowls with hungry delight. Adam's and my tradition is something I really cherish, both as a hobbyist chef and as someone who cares about their loved ones. From how I see things, food is effort. And if effort is love, then cooking is bonding, and bonding is friendship. Does that logic add up? What I'm trying to say is that I love my friends. Which is corny, if they knew about all these sappy feelings that I'd never hear the end of it. Aw, you love us, Molly? Really? Do you promise that you do? Yes, doofuses, I do. Maybe love is too strong of a word when it comes to describing how I feel about them. However, as you probably realize by now, 
Food is my love language. It all started with mom's crockpot chicken soup, which she took time out of her day to prepare. Highly impressive for a labor and delivery nurse working overnights. Making food from scratch is tedious work. Yet it's this very tediousness that taught me what caring for someone means. It means pouring soup that your mom made into a thermos as she's rushing out the door. It means sharing recipe links over Snapchat with your friend, attached with a message saying, we should try this next time. It means thinking you have a strange allergy to a yam you didn't know existed until three days prior. It means letting your friend borrow Tupperware so they can make a future meal of curry they didn't get to finish at dinner. It means writing a long-winded personal essay that tries to put these feelings into words. And I think that's pretty neat.
All right, Lexi, what is what is one of your most awkward dining experiences? Mm, that's a that's a great question. Um now I'm thinking about <clears throat> every potential awkward scenario. Um <laughs> and there are there are a lot of them cuz I'm not the most uh I, I can be pretty awkward. Um, I'm going to throw that one back to you and think about it. Okay. I was seated at a community table at a restaurant, and my ex and her new boyfriend were seated with me, and my date happened to be his ex. Ooh. And it was the most... Bullshit small talk I have ever engaged in for an elongated period of time. And it was like a community dinner where they were bringing out like shared plates of stuff for the whole table. And I have never wanted to disappear in a plate as much as I did during that meal. (laughs) Okay, okay, I got mine. Picture this. 2013 Mm -hmm. Olive Garden. Ooh. Pre-college. Okay. Uh, endless breadsticks and salad. Yeah. This dinner is the dinner that I break up with my boyfriend. Oh. And he's a pretty, he was a pretty uh, big personality. <laughs> so every time the waiter came... He would ask for more breadsticks. There would all it would it would it was a prolonged experience. <laughs> getting his money's worth. Getting his money's worth because he <laughs> felt it coming, and <laughs> you know there was no small talk for me. It was all awkward silences and feeling bad for bad for everyone who's around our table, feeling that tension. Yeah, because um, it fills a room. It does. Yeah. <laughs> was the all did the did going to Olive Garden have anything to do with the breakup? You know, I don't know. I don't really know why that was the choice. I lived in Daytona Beach at the time, so uh, there weren't a lot. It, yeah. There weren't a lot of like small dining businesses. Yeah. Yeah. But I'd like to think that it was like a mirror of the quality of relationship that I was getting out of. <laughs> and now every time you go to a to an Olive Garden, you just have to remember. Which I don't. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Although if you did, I bet it would look exactly like the one that you broke up with him in. Yep. Because they all look exactly alike. Triggered. Triggered central, yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, the the difficulty of eating out and the difficulty of dinners is that you sometimes get in these awkward positions. Dating, especially, you end up in like all these positions where you're eating with someone that you don't know if you're going to have a good conversation with them. Or, you know... I've been fired over lunch before where they want to take you out to lunch. And it's like nothing kills your appetite quicker than realizing, I think I'm about to be fired. Mm -hmm. You know? That's when you just, uh, you get a martini, you do a Don Draper, and you you get out. Oh, that reminds me of another very awkward one that that was just truly amazing. Was trying to hire this guy with the wine import company that I worked for. And I had the owner of the company in town and brought this guy in to meet him. And we went to a brand new restaurant in town that had just opened. And the guy orders gumbo off the menu. And about halfway through the meeting, he just turns green. 
and he's not really eating his food. And my boss gets up to go to the bathroom and he, he goes, John, do you think this tastes okay? And like pushes the gumbo over to me and I taste it. And I was like, no, that is rancid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so he spent the remainder of that meeting in the bathroom throwing up his lunch. Oh, no. <laughs> it was just super awkward where I was like, I promise this guy's really good. We just food poisoned him. <laughs> <laughs> so the next piece by David Hangman um, is called Companion Inspired Cuisine. And when I first read this piece, I thought it was both dark and hilarious at the same time, which is a hard <laughs> thing to balance. Um And he contacted us uh, from Spain with this menu that he had created. Perhaps he has, he is a chef, so I imagine that he's created these dishes. Um, And the the angle of the, the intention behind the menu uh, was really capturing to me. Nice. So here's Michael Parker reading David Hangman's companion-inspired cuisine. Throughout my extensive career as a chef, I have experienced on my own palate how a dish can subtly change in flavor depending on the companions with whom it is enjoyed. Some dishes can inspire a memory. Others are ideal for venting frustrations. Others become a cozy refuge from an overwhelming dining companion. And still others can bring hidden passions to bloom. Specific events in my life, such as a date, a divorce, or a simple work meeting, inspired me to create a cuisine of dishes conceived according to the companions and the feelings they inspire in us, enhancing, transforming, or attenuating them. I devised several of these dishes as a mental evasion exercise on some of those unbearable occasions. The menu we present to you aims at the difficult task of creating a unique sensory experience that allows us to connect the taste, texture, and even the temperature at which each dish is served with the feelings inspired by the diners with whom we share them. Selecting dishes according to the companion will allow us to obtain a totally new and different culinary experience. Ours is, therefore, a cuisine inspired by feelings. Appetizers All-in tip crudité. Asparagus tips, halved radish tips, and baby corn tips on an ultra-invigorating dip of full-fat cream cheese, sour cream, grated parmesan, crushed garlic clove, lemon zest, and lemon juice. Special for snacking with dates, boyfriends, girlfriends, and all kinds of affairs. Never order with in-laws. I've hit rock-bottom tapenade. Broccoli florets, baby chantonet carrots, cauliflower florets, and small Vittoria tomatoes, or other boring conjugal life vegetables on a bed of crushed black olive paste, very bitter capers, black garlic cloves, and salted anchovies, which will not leave you indifferent at all, to share with your life partner. Peri-peri hummus. Creamy brine chickpea hummus with peri-peri African sauce made from spicy bird's eye chili peppers. Served with your choice of pita chips, tortilla chips, potato wedges, or vegetables. To send customers into orbit or settle a score with a friend. Starters. 
closes mouths spicy soup. Roasted red bell pepper soup with a pleasant smoky flavor intensified with cumin and smoked paprika with a generous spoonful of harissa paste that adds a spicy touch reinforced with a little cayenne. Served with garlic and herb cheese au gratin. Ideal for talking to your ex-spouse about alimony or for further crushing friends and clients. Alone in the face of danger, burrata and tomato salad. Burrata surrounded by baby plum tomatoes marinated with olive oil, red wine vinegar, red onion, aromatic herbs, salt and pepper. Served with sprinkled basil leaves and toasted ciabatta bread spread with raw garlic. A salad full of flavor to take refuge during dinner from the overwhelming demands of the boss or the ex or from insipid conversations. My boss's liver pate on brioche. Duck liver pate. Just think of it as your boss's offal. Cooked over very, very low heat, as low as you can, on a saute of onion and butter with cream, a pinch of salt, and ground black pepper. It is served on toasted brioche and topped with a little cranberry sauce. A dish specially created to be enjoyed slowly and to relieve stress. Main courses. Ball-ripping meatballs. Calf or bull testicle meatballs. Your choice, depending on how you remember your ex. Stuffed with Danish blue cheese and glazed in a slightly acidic and spicy buffalo sauce. They are garnished with sour cream, on top of which fresh chives are sprinkled and an insinuating celery stalk is placed. All the pleasure of smashing his balls to bits. Dish recommended after traumatic separations. Mother-in-law's heart stew. Korean-style beef stew with cabbage, kimchi, and ginger, sautéed with mushrooms, garlic, gochujang hot sauce, chili flakes, and tamari soy sauce. It all pairs perfectly to recreate the black heart of mother-in-law. Served on a bed of cooked rice, sesame oil and scallions sprinkled on top. Ideal for venting frustrations. Hidden Passions Cod on Papillote. Cod baked on papillote on a passionate Sicilian vegetable caponata that has been left to rest for at least a day for the flavors to fully develop. Its characteristic sweet and sour flavor results from the mixture of vegetables with balsamic vinegar, golden sultanas, and toasted pine nuts, a dish conceived to reveal hidden passions and overcome our fears. Carnal Marriage Perfect marriage of sirloin steak with beautiful caramelized crust and blue cheese sauce made from the meat juices and a thick cream base with saint augure cheese and a fresh touch of chives. It can be served with crispy smashed potatoes, mini Hasselback potatoes or Dauphinoise potatoes, and also with vegetables. To enjoy the meat during the meal and if desired, also afterwards. Chef Specialties Tasty Scraps Bouillabaisse A hearty soup made from shrimp shells and fish trimmings on a tomato base, enriched with onion, garlic, celery, carrot, potato, fennel, and saffron. Fish of all kinds, creeping, spiny, and even poisonous species are added, such as conger eel, scorpionfish, monkfish, snapper, and sea spider. 
It is served as a unique dish, a chef's specialty of intense flavor to recompose us from our own miseries. Especially intended to enjoy with someone who has destroyed our lives. Mysterious bouillabaisse. In this variant, the chef does not want to know where the ingredients come from, nor if they are seafood or meat, nor from what animal they originate. If they come from any animal, boss, ex-spouse, client, parent-in-law, or lover, he leaves it to our vindictive creativity. Desserts. For the selection of desserts, it is essential to be properly accompanied. Mini meringue kisses. Meringues with the base alternately coated in white chocolate, milk chocolate, and dark chocolate, sprinkled with pieces of hazelnuts, pistachios, coconut, and chopped chocolate. Ideal to formalize relationships. Never eat alone. Passion fruit pudding. Fluffy coconut sponge cake on a base of passion fruit cream with coconut milk and vanilla. It is served topped with icing, dusted with sugar, smothered with whipped cream. To share spoonful by spoonful, gradually igniting passions. It is recommended to look your partner in the eyes. Hazelnut and brandy te tiramisu. Cold tiramisu cake assembled in alternating layers of sponge cake, moistened with coffee and mascarpone cream cheese, flavored with brandy, covered with cocoa powder, and textured with hazelnuts. An invigorating sweet that lifts the spirits and other things with immediate effect thanks to its high carbohydrate content. Spirits Chartreuse of Oblivion Liqueur elaborated by the Carthusian monks of the Alps. Its elaboration involves more than 120 herbs and spices macerated in wine brandy, with a high alcohol content of 43 to 55%. Perfect to completely forget about any unbearable companion, spouse, or boss. Highland Drambuie. Whiskey liqueur made from malt whiskey, herbs, and heather honey. According to a secret 18th century formula preserved in Scotland, it will lift us to the highlands and we will not return from them until we enjoy a good night's sleep. Spellbreaking Strega. Italian liqueur made with herbs and tamed with sweetness to a cool 40% alcohol. Its invention is attributed to the witches, the Strega, for a last taste of your ex and to break the spell for good. If you have chosen carefully, according to the feelings inspired by your companions, we are sure that you will enjoy a unique culinary experience, rich in flavors, as subtle as they are intense. The Dirty Spoon Radio Hour is made possible by our underwriter, The Marketplace Restaurant. Serving Asheville for over 40 years, The Marketplace is Asheville's original farm-to-table restaurant. The Marketplace strives to bring you the best of what our region has to offer, farmed by our neighbors. For more information on our underwriters or to support us yourself by subscribing to our Patreon, visit dirty-spoon.com.
Dirty Spoon Radio Hour is a production of Dirty Spoon Media. All of the text from our stories is available on our webpage, dirty-spoon.com. There, you can also catch up on past episodes, as well as subscribe to the show and help us keep going through our Patreon. The incredible artwork on that page is by Corinne Pease, Katrin Dosa, Ashley Icomedes, Kelly Manier, Garnet Fisher, Paul Choi, Marianne Pompano, Claire Winkler, and Alex Knighton. Music on this episode by Salt Cathedral, Tapir, Matt Maltese, Shannon and the Clams, Wisp, The Smile, Good Morning, and The Blue Dot Sessions. Lexi Harvey is our editor-at-large, sources our stories, and handles our website and marketing. Jonathan Ammons is our editor-in-chief, handles the music selection, production, recording, audio editing, and writes some of the original music. 
Tune in next month for more stories, conversations, and music from the people who shape what we consume right here on the Dirty Spoon Radio Hour from WPVM.